And again, thank you for joining and welcome to the Carolina Bible Group Bible Study Voice Room once again. Uh, today's lesson will be lesson number 69 in our study entitled Angels and Giants Factor Fiction. And the date for date stamp for today is 11-27-22. And um, I can't help thinking back 40 years ago today. I've had a lot of those thoughts this morning thinking about uh, Stephanie and her birthday and how uh, it was a Saturday. And um, Lori and I were brand new to this having a baby thing. We had never done that before. And so a uh, big learning curve there for us. We had had the Lamas classes and all that good stuff. And it was <laughs> it was quite an eye-opener uh, to get to go through um, go through that. Anybody that can uh, witness a, a human baby be born and, and not believe in a creator, uh, I don't know what else would help them to understand such things. But... Um, yeah, Levy stuff, and really, uh, really been thinking a lot about that this morning. But and moving on, our, our purpose in this entire series, uh, once again, is a uh, is a to investigate the angels and giants mentioned in Scripture, and by doing so, try and alleviate some of the confusion that some Scripture verses seem to generate. <coughs> and the, my, two of my grandkids spent the night with us in the camper last night. We got a couple of bunk beds and so Grace and Cage came over and uh, to try to keep some semblance of normal with Mimi and Papa uh, spent the night in the camper so Grace and I when Lori left to go uh, right before Lori left to go get some stuff from the store Grace and I were having a, a conversation about this um, well why are we doing the study you know what does the kind of what does the study mean that meant a lot to me that you know she had the, the questions about wondering how you know why we do this and and I think I explained to her that I believe study should be for a reason that uh, I mean you can sit and open the Bible and and just peruse it but I believe that a lot of times when a question hits us about scripture uh, it's not you that's pushing the question it I believe that's how the Holy Spirit nudges us and and uh, also talking to Mike Metzkowski about that same thing this morning that a lot of times when we have these urges to look or, uh, man, I should, you know, I should really go and look at, at this or that. I don't think that's our idea, to be honest with you. I believe that's the, um, the Spirit's, uh, easy, gentle way of nudging you, uh, in a direction that maybe you need to go and look and, or something maybe you need to check into or look at. And so, um, that's, um, couple of the conversations we had about that this morning. So I've already had some studies and already been blessed um, beyond measure this morning in the, the conversations that I had. Uh, but last week, and, and moving on here, last week for our last study, we kept moving forward in our review of the angels mentioned in Revelation uh, by looking at the seven angels in Revelation 16. Um, and we, we completed them last week and looking at those seven angels with the with the seven vials of judgment uh, and I want to make this statement going in that I am not a an expert in the book of the revelation by anybody's stretch of anybody's imagination uh, I am a student looking for answers and just as you are uh, no more in tune with the Holy Spirit than anybody else is or can be and all I bring forth are things that pop out to me or seem interesting to me or have a correlation to something else in the scripture. And uh, I've got more questions than answers, and it seems like it turns out that way every time I every time I look at the scripture. I end up with more a lot of times a lot more questions than answers. And I believe that's how the Holy Spirit works. That's how the Holy Spirit keeps us moving and growing and looking at scripture you anybody that you talk to that studies the scripture with any regularity at all said we they'll say occasionally well you know as many times as i've been through that book i read this certain thing this morning and i saw something i've never seen before and that truly is the magic of the scripture so to say is that no matter how many times you go through or read something every time you do it you're going to see something new or something different. So, 
just wanted to point that out this morning that uh, we're studying together. I'm not coming to you, uh, and I get a lot of questions. I get a lot of people, and I appreciate those that email or call or text or even at the end of the study, they may have a question about this or that. And that is great, but don't for one minute think that just because I may have may or may not have an answer, uh, that that's the only answer or that that's the end-all, do-all of Revelation because I am not. And uh, that's my disclaimer for this morning. I do not, uh, I do not claim to have any particular knowledge of revelation um, that uh, <laughs> that anybody else uh, doesn't have. I'm just not, I'm not that guy. So, just so you know that. So for today's study, I want to keep moving on in the revelation uh, with the things revealed to John uh, by one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials of judgment concerning the great whore. And you say, well, that, that's a big statement. Uh, well, it's in the Scripture. And that's what the Scripture calls Babylon, is the great whore. Now, let, let's get the time context or the event context in focus here. When we go through Revelation 16, we have a blow-by-blow a, a blow report from John, our reporter on the ground there in the Lord's day, as to the vials of judgment that are being poured out. And as we get to the end of chapter 16, we see that all the vials have been poured out, and it sort of sums up uh, in 21 where it talks about that great hail. You remember we talked about the hailstones weighing 114 pounds. That's a big hailstone. And so that, that's what kind of wraps chapter 16 up. But then, interestingly, when you get to chapter 17, and this is the way it looks to me, is that one of those seven angels, and I'm not sure which one it is, but one of those angels calls John aside. Now John is already, from chapter 1, in the Spirit on the Lord's day, he says. He's moved in the Spirit on the Lord's day to be able to witness and to um, to record what's happening so that we, as readers of the Scripture, would be able to see it later on in written form. So he's already in the Spirit, but he's going to get carried away somehow further in the Spirit by this one angel. And it's almost like a, a vision within a vision that's going to happen to John here. Is why I think 17 is so is so uh, standalone because we're, 17 is going to go into some detail about one of the main judgments that's already taken place. So I want to read. Uh, turn with me to Revelation chapter 17. I'm on a, We're going to try to cover the whole chapter, one through 18. Not going to promise you we'll get it done today, but so what? We do, we do. If we don't, we don't. But I want to read all 18 verses and review the judgment of the great whore Babylon, as the scripture calls her. Babylon the great whore. And I think when we get to the end of it, you will have a much greater understanding, as I did, of why the scripture refers to Babylon as the great whore in scripture and it's the one that pulls pulls uh, believers away the one that entices them with uh, sinful things and pulls believers away that's why um, called the, the the great whore and it stands she stands against all that is good of God basically all these all these uh, crazy religions that come about and the worship of creeping things and idolatry, you know, it's all kind of lumped into this great horror Babylon here, as we will see as we read. So, uh, turn with me, as I said, Revelation 17, 1, let's begin. And it says, and there came one of the seven angels. Well, that's the seven angels that he just told us about in Revelation 16. Remember, this is our guy on the ground, John, speaking again. There came one of the seven, seven angels which had the seven vials. So that, that kind of caps it. Now we know who he's talking about. He doesn't say which angel. 
Because this is, incidentally, a study in angels. And the whole reason that we're in this is not to, you know, come away with everything we can understand about the book of Revelation. Although we're going to get into a lot of that. But it's to come away with a better understanding of the angels and their interface. You know, specifically regarding our study, it's a study of the angels and their interface with John as we go through the things that they're revealing to him. And God's usage of these angels as we go through the book of Revelation. So he says, There came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me. And that's uh, laleo in the, in the text of the Greek. And it just means uh, somebody communicate not so much with respect as to what's said, but that he's literally communicating with John. That's what the word talked there means. So the angel comes and talked with me, and he says unto him, Come hither, or come with me, I will show unto thee. Now listen to this. I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. So within the scope of the vows that came, it's my estimation that it's probably the seventh angel that comes to John because it was the seventh angel uh, that sort of revealed uh, verse 19 in chapter 16. Go back to 16, 19 and let's read this because what you're going to see as the angel opens up chapter 17 and 18 of the Revelation you're going to see an expansion of this judgment and the results of it that takes place or is mentioned in one verse in chapter 16. And that's verse 19. Let's read it. Revelation 16:19 that we went over last week says this, And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell and great Babylon came in remembrance before God. Ah, God remembered what the great whore had done to give unto her what? The cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. The fierceness of the wrath of the judgment of God upon the city of Babylon is what's mentioned briefly in chapter 16, verse 19. Well, chapter 17 and 18 are an expansion in detail of what is mentioned here, I believe, in 1619. So even though the scripture doesn't really say that it's the seventh angel that came to John, I believe that it was, because the seventh angel is the one that's in charge of the vial that gets poured out upon the great whore Babylon. And so I believe it's that seventh angel that comes over and says, Hey, John, let me show you some of the secrets that I've got in store here for my judgment that God has given to me to exercise upon the great whore of Babylon. And so John is going to get yet more detail on 1619 as we go through this. So you see how Revelation works. You see why I say that you can't really take Revelation and look at it as a chronological order thing because here we got two chapters dedicated to a brief mention in one other chapter. And it's just details about that brief mention. So you see why you can't really put it in chronological order like you can in the book of Acts. They're written with totally different, totally different reasons and purposes in mind you know, when, when Luke wrote Acts, he's writing it to Theophilus, and he wants Theophilus to know in perfect order and in perfect succession the things that took place during the Acts period. And thank God that he did. Where would we be without the book of Acts and the chronology that goes with the book of Acts? Well, we're getting the same deal here with John, but you can throw out the chronology. You're just getting a list of details. Now, there are some things that happened before or after or during other things that you can sort of put in order, but you're not going to have a book of Acts chronology, so to say, here with the Revelation. It's just not going to happen. Because you've got to remember what's being written to augment things that are already there, like what we're talking about. It's uh, 
it would be uh, probably be not have the ability to to look at every little thing according to the fierceness of the wrath of God. Oh, I know. Yes, exactly. Because you know you you, you can't you, you can't, can't capture the details. Yeah, you can't capture the wrath. That's a great point. The wrath of God cannot be totally captured in one verse in sixteen nineteen. You just can't do it. So the Holy Spirit felt it important enough for the angel to come over to John and literally give him a vision within a vision. You say, well, what are you talking about, Ronnie? Well, let's read on. Let's read it again. There came, and there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore which sitteth, that sitteth upon many waters. Verse 2. Now, don't fret. A lot of this is symbolic, but when we get down and further in chapter 17, the angel is going to say, let me do some interpreting for you. Let me tell you what these things mean that you saw. And not only is John going to figure it out, but so are we as we go through it. Verse 2. The whore that sitteth upon many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. Ah, the leaders of the earth have fell into this idolatry. They've fallen into this godlessness. They've committed fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drink, have been made drunk, I'm sorry, with or out of the wine of her fornication. There was so much fornication that the kings of the earth and the people of the earth, they're literally drunk with it. They've drunk so much of it, had so much to do with it, that it just is intoxicated. They're gone. Yeah. They're just drunk with it. Verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit. Wait a minute. Is John, if he's talking to the seventh angel, is he not already carried away in the Spirit? Have you ever thought about that? So what is this further carrying away in the Spirit here? Did he, or did he at some point come out of the first carrying away into the Spirit and he's carried away the second time? I don't know. Or to a different place. I haven't. I don't remember seeing where we've left the vision yet from chapter one, where he says I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and let me show you what I've heard. Let me show you what I've seen. Let me show you what I know. And so here we are with a with something that hit me like a ton of bricks when I ran across it. That we're in the spirit for the second time. So is it a vision within a vision? Or is this the second vision? I don't know. Um, I'm thinking it's a, a vision within a vision. Because I can't find where he ever came out of the spirit. You know, Peter went in and he came out. When he was on the rooftop there in the book of Acts. When he was shown the, the vision of the sheep. He was in a trance and then he came out of the trance. I don't read where John ever came out of it. To be honest with you. Now, I may have missed it. As I've already proclaimed, I am not the expert of the book of the Revelation. But I just haven't seen it. If you have a correction for Ronnie, I'd be loved to hear it. I would love to hear it. Verse 3. So he carried me away in the Spirit. You see that? In verse 3. And I think in there is within. That's Appendix 104, Part 8. I believe it's within the Spirit, into the wilderness. So he goes to a different place than the Isle of Patmos. Remember in chapter 1 where he says, I was in the Isle of Patmos and carried away in the Spirit. You think this is the same wilderness that the children were in? That's exactly what I wondered. I don't know. Uh, The area around Babylon is certainly a wilderness. I do know that. So I don't know. That's a good question. I thought the same thing. Anytime I see the wilderness, my mind immediately goes back to the the children of Israel and the 40 years in the wilderness. Yeah, but uh, the area 
that Babylon was in, in Turkey, was it was kind of like a garden. At one time. At one time. So yeah. Kind of might, might, maybe like, kind of like the garden. Yeah, could be. And that's why I thought, you know, it's pretty desolate around it right now. Maybe that's where he is. Well, see, Abraham comes from all down, from all down the line, down on the corner of one of the isthmuses down there, was where Abraham was from. Right. Good question. But he's in the wilderness, carried away in the spirit. Listen to this. And I saw a woman. Here's John's version of the vision. Here's what he saw. I saw a woman, as it's described, or uh, that great city, as the note says, sit or sitting, as supported by that being described, as, as we will see. So it says, I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Time out. Time out. The woman is sitting on a beast that's full of blasphemy, and the beast has seven heads and ten horns. Where have you seen this before? Anybody remember back a few chapters in chapter 13? Flip back with me there a couple of minutes. Revelation 13. Let's go back to chapter 2. It ain't been that long. The beast is revealed. The beast is revealed in chapter 13 in detail. Where John says, I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up. Out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. Let's see if that matches. Revelation 17.3 says it had seven heads and ten horns. That matches. And upon his horns, ten crowns. And upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. Well, there's all the blasphemy that we're talking about here in chapter 17. You see that? Full of blasphemy. You see that? So it's a pretty good assumption that we're talking about the same beast here. So you see how Revelation jumps around and makes references to other things within itself, not necessarily in a chronological order. And that's what I want to keep stressing. You're going to have to dig to figure out a chronology to go with with the events in Revelation. you got to dig for it. It ain't laid out like the book of Acts is. That's the main thing I want you to come away with. So this woman is sitting on a scarlet-covered beast, verse 3, Revelation 17, full of names of blasphemy. That that relates to chapter 13. Having seven heads and ten horns, that also relates to chapter 13. So I think you're going to have to look at 13 and 17 and 18 together to get the whole story of this beast. Would that be... And how the beast is related to the great whore Babylon. I think that would be a safe assumption here. So remember chapter 13. Put a note in your Bible there beside verse 3 or whatever. Hey, got to go back and check Revelation 13 and get some details. Let's read on. And this woman, verse 4, and the woman was arrayed in purple. Oh, in scarlet color. Very beautiful. And decked or decorated with gold and precious stones and pearls and having a golden cup in her hand. Well, what's in the cup? By symbolic measure, a cup is what you drink out of. The cup holds that which you're consuming, does it not? The cup's got what you're drinking. Yeah. This cup that's in her hand is full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. That's what she's drinking. That's the wine that she's sharing with the kings of the earth. That's what they're partaking of. Same stuff that's in the cup. And listen to this, verse 5. And upon her head, 
And we're going to look at some notes in the CB regarding this verse. We're probably going to be on verse 5 here for a few minutes. So let's read it uh, in its entirety to start with. And upon her forehead, the forehead of this woman, was a name written. Mystery. Mysterion. Babylon the Great. See, it's all caps. The all caps in the Companion Bible usually denotes that which is written. I believe it does the same thing when Herod took and wrote Jesus Christ, King of the Jews, for the sign that went above his head on the cross. And the Companion Bible, I love the way it does that. It's all caps. And all caps in bold, no less. Her name was Mystery Babylon the Great. The mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. The mother of all these things. The fountainhead. The place where all the abominations began and comes from. And I believe it stretches all the way back to the ancient Tower of Babel with Nimrod. Because it was in Nimrod's days when men began to call upon the names of other gods. Strange gods. And they were in rebellion to the God of creation who created all things. Stretches back that far. From one end of creation here to now to the end of creation that we read about here in the book of Revelation. Let's read it again. Mystery, Babylon. The great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Well, if she's the mother, that's where it all began to come from. And in my mind, you got to trace all that all the way back to Nimrod, at least that far. <clears throat> so let's look at the notes in the Companion Bible on verse five. Leave the note on the if you have one, uh, and I'm on page nineteen, nineteen oh five here in the in the, the Companion Bible. Uh, the note here, it says, see Appendix 193, uh, which I believe is all about the Revelation, and chapter 1, verse 20. The verse should be read. Here's how verse 5 should be read in the Greek. It says, and upon her forehead she had a name written, a secret symbol, Mosterion, Babylon the Great the mother of the harlots and of the abominations of the earth. The the note goes on to say, the name of the woman is therefore a secret sign or symbol of that great city which she personifies. And I've seen this before of the moon, that partial moon and the sickle of the Islamic faith put forth as that of the Islamic faith. The Islamics outnumber the Christians greatly on the earth. They outnumber pretty much everybody as far as religions go. Just a, just a quick thought there. I'm not saying that's exactly what that symbol is. I'm just saying maybe think about it. It's a distinct possibility. The, the word harlots there, uh, as the note correctly rendered brings forth, it's the harlots. Or the har, you know, the harlots, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and then of the earth there in that same note. Now listen to this. I want to read this entire note. It's pretty interesting. It says, "Babylon is the fountainhead of all idolatry and systems of false worship." Some of these have done very great in the world up to our date. And some have done pretty good. But overall, there's way more idolatry in the world than there's truth. And I say that without reservation. It says, this is the mystery of iniquity that's talked about in Second Thessalonians 2.7. Seen in all the great religions, and they got quotes around that, and for a good reason, of the world. Belief is one thing. Religion is something entirely different. Religion can be a bad thing. And in my mind, religion is almost always a bad thing. Belief, I'm not saying belief is a bad thing. 
I'm saying religion is a bad thing. Or can be a very bad thing. And so they say that these, this is the mystery of iniquity that's seen in all the great religions of the world. All alike substitute, listen to this, all these religions alike substitute another God for the God of the Bible. They put forth some other God than the God of the Bible. You know, when these, when these Islamics do this pilgrimage to Mecca, there's a, there's a meteor there that they've taken that fell from heaven with a picture on it. And they've got it in a shrine and when they, when they do the walk to Mecca, they all rotate around this thing just like a, orbiting a planet. Have you ever seen this? Have you ever looked at this on the internet? How they, how they, they get in just hoard thousands of people at a time, walk around this thing. They've got it in a, in a mosque or a, a temple of some kind. And they just walk around. This is what they worship. This is what they believe. They believe it's a sign from Allah. Is that the big black cube? The big black cube. Yep. Exactly. A God made either with the hands or with the imagination, but equally made. The God is made or expound and worshipped. Like in the case, they say, well, this meteor that they saw hit and they dug it up. A religion consisting of human merit and endeavor. The reunion of the churches of Christendom and the League of Nations are two of the most arresting signs of the times. And you got to remember when Bullinger wrote this, we're talking about back in the probably 40s, 50s, early 60s. I don't know exactly when he took over the, I mean, uh, Welch, when exactly he took over the writing of the Companion Bible. But at the time, the League of Nations and the, the reunion of the churches, so to say, was in the mind of Welch or Bullinger, whichever one wrote this particular note, it was in their mind a very concerning thing for that day. Well, here we are, 50, 60 years down from there. Where does that put us? Yeah, we're we're in a lot worse shape actually. Yeah, we're in the latter days. Yeah. Yeah. So, I wanted to read those notes. I thought they were very indicative and, and pretty important there to include. But note the name that's on the forehead of this one. Verse six. John goes on. He sees more things. He says, "And I saw the woman drunken." See, she's been drinking out of that cup. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints. Wow. The blood of the saints. How many saints have been killed or beheaded in the name of the Lord because of a religious system that they did not match up with? Do you think God knows where every single one of them is? Yes, He does. Does it surprise you that God knows where all the blood is after our blood study? It doesn't surprise me. He knows where every single drop of it is. Because the life is in the blood and the life is His. The life doesn't come from anyone else or any place else or any other power anywhere other than God. God, in him is life, the scripture says. And in the blood is the life. So God knows where all the blood goes. I believe even the blood of the animals that die. He knows where all that goes. So he saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints. That's what she's literally drunk on. And this is all symbolically and, and put forth as a metaphor. So, you know, she, the, the fact that she's drunk so much of the blood of the saints is telling you that because of these abominations in these religious systems, a lot of saints have been killed and lost their blood. That's what this is all about. Well, that's like when God sent Jehu and he gave him the kingship of Israel 
and he sent his chariot over there, and and he ran down the, the great harlot that was there. Oh yeah, was it Jezebel? Jezebel uh, at the time, and she laid in the in the street. In the street, and and when he went back, when they went back to bury her, uh, they identified her by her fingernails. Yeah, the only way they could tell, probably. And a lot of people have said, well, I don't, that sounds crazy. I said, well, these harlots, if you look, even the prostitutes in this day, they'll cut their nails, they'll square them up. Yeah. And and I asked Dr. Miller's gal that worked in the office, there was a black lady that he had hired. I asked her, I said, who got your fingernails? And she quit that day. She didn't come back. Really? No. Interesting. I didn't mean to send her home. <laughs> <laughs> or wherever she went. But I asked, I asked uh, Dr. Miller's regular nurse, I said, what happened to, to, to the other girl? To the black girl out in the house. She quit the other day when you used after you was here that day. <laughs> yeah. Dang, Papa. You should feel bad. <laughs> no, I didn't feel bad. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's interesting. But he saw in verse 6, he saw the woman. This is still John telling us what he's seeing. He saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. He says, and when I saw her... I wondered with great, and the, the King James translators put in admiration. Now, admiration in our in our vernacular means that you kind of admire something. In the text of the Greek, it should be wonder. He said he wondered with great wonder. It doesn't mean that he admired her. It means that he was really curious about her. Yeah, you're right. It's a curiosity more than an admiration or a respect for or a worshiping of, even worse. He, John wasn't going to go there. So it's a very poor translation there to put admiration. So he wondered with a great wondering. Or with a great wonder. Verse 7. This is interesting. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery, the secret of the woman. And of the beast that carrieth her, which hath seven heads and ten horns. Ah, so we're about to learn something here. There is no better explanation for the metaphoric things that you see revealed than for the angel himself to tell you what they mean. I mean, you can't beat that. That's the scripture explaining the scripture. The scripture is literally going to explain the signs that John is seeing the, the images that are being laid out and, and shown to him, the angel said, Dom, let me let me explain what all these things mean. That's awesome. And when John learns, guess what? We learn. So let's read what the angel has to say. You go on to verse eight, and of course I'm going to reference you again to verse or to chapter thirteen of Revelation. You can't look at 17 and, or from this point in 17 and chapter 18 without going back and adding what is said in chapter 13 and seeing how they line up. Uh, everybody hear me okay? Chico says the audio is dropping. I want to make sure if it's, uh, pal talk or just his line, his connection. Does it look okay, Tony? Yeah, I'm on the uh, skipping a little bit. Uh, Chip says we're skipping some. Yeah, we're we're gonna adjust the. Um... Oh, really? Yeah. Move it. Maybe move it back down to that table a little bit. See if it uh, gets any better. How's that? Is that any better? Yeah, everybody says they're seeing some skips. Gone. Gone. Anybody there? Oh, is that better, Chip? Okay, good. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it'll hang in there. Okay, good. We'll keep going. We'll have it, um, we're gonna try to get the, 
recordings that we're behind on over to Chip today. Um, at least that'll be uh, another portion of that done, and we'll see when we can get them posted up for everybody to listen to. Let's continue on with verse 8. <laughs> Scratching the record. Yeah, thanks, Chico. You're going to date you and I both if you're not careful uh, talking about those records. Uh, the beast that thou sawest in verse 8. And this is the angel explaining this beast and these things that John has saw. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. Now, that's, that, that is a mouthful. That is a mouthful of verse right there. So let's unpack it a little bit. Again, not that I'm a, a great expert in, in the book of Revelation, but let's unpack this a little bit here in verse 8. Uh, so the was, where it says, The beast that thou sawest was and is not, that tends to confuse people. Was and is not. That it says in the in the note that's implying the time between chapters twelve and thirteen. So the beast was and you know the beast will appear and then there'll be a time when the beast won't be there anymore. And that's what John's referring to, I believe. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out or out from. I believe that's probably act there in uh, verse eight. Out of the bottomless pit. Well, let's go back to 13 and see what it says. Where does the beast come from? John says, I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea. So, in verse in chapter 17, the beast comes up out of the bottomless pit. So, is the bottomless pit within the sea? It would sort of seem to look that way. Listen, there are places in the ocean, folks, that we don't know a lot about. They make it very clear when they when they look at the ocean that there are places in the ocean that we know more about what's in space and what's on the moon than we do what's at the bottom of these deeps in the ocean. Don't take our oceans for granted in the vastness of them and think that we as humans have the oceans all figured out because we don't. There are depths to the ocean that we have yet to fathom and understand. And there are things that could be down there that we probably don't want to find when we find them. I'm just saying. So the angel tells John, that this beast shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. So that's the beginning and the end of of the beast. And they that dwell on the earth. So these are those that are still remaining on the earth. And I've told you where where I am with our feeling about where we will be at this time already. So we won't get into that again today. But it does say that they which dwell on the earth shall wonder. And these that are going to be doing this wondering are those whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not, and yet it is there. Okay? That makes sense? Now turn with me, I believe... It's in, uh, hold on, uh, turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. We're going to skip ahead a little bit. Now we're talking about this, these whose names were not written in the Lamb's book of life. Is that not what it said in Revelation 17? Let's read it again. And I'm running out of time. Yeah. 
The beast that thou sawest was and is not shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition, and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is and yet is not. Oh, and yet is. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. And let's look at um, verse 11. It says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it. This is the great white throne judgment that you've, uh, that you've heard here. Uh, hold your question, Carolyn, because <laughs> we're probably not going to get that far today. Uh, the angel's going to tell us what the water and the seas are here. So, it says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. The books. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Oh, so we have two sets of books, do we not? Another means another. It doesn't mean the same book. So John says... So a great white throne, he saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And incidentally, I don't believe these dead are alive or they wouldn't be called the dead. These are, that's necros, it's the corpses. John literally says, I saw corpses stand before the throne. And the books are open and another book is open. So we're judging here. We're still in judgment mode. So to say. And the dead, listen to this. The dead, the dead, the dead, the dead. Continuously called corpses. The corpses is what that means. It's necros. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Ah, so... Maybe these books of judgment contain reasons why these corpses are just done away with with no resurrection. Because, as Jane and I have discussed, I don't believe these have life. I don't even believe they know that they're standing there before the throne, yet they are. Yeah, I think... God requires this. I think God is, is getting rid of his trash. Yeah, and, and we've equated this to literally God cleaning up the dead that's in creation. Yeah. All the flesh. Taking out his trash. So the dead, it says, were judged out of the things which were written in the books according to their works. And listen, somebody doesn't have to be conscious for their judgment to take place. This is God just declaring, I believe, why these don't have a resurrection. Because I can't find where they're called anything but corpses, to be honest with you, in the book of Revelation. The dead were judged out of the, those things which were written in the books according to their works, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and the grave delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works out of the books. Not out of the Lamb's book of life, but out of the books. There are two sets of books. The naughty list and the nice list. Where have you heard that before? Interesting. This is leading up to the second death. You may want to put this into your second death study. So that's all we're doing on that. Turn one back to Revelation 17. I'm just about out of time here. And actually, I am out of time, so we will. <coughs> I know Forrest is going today for Barney. So we will hold off here at verse 8. I didn't think we'd get very far in 17. But hopefully this has helped you some, and at least brought forth a lot of questions that you may have um, about these, this judgment of the great whole and what's actually taking place here. And we'll get into a lot more interpretation by the angel. The angel's going to explain a lot of stuff. And by all means, go ahead and read this. 
formulate your own ideas, study it out, search the scriptures to see if these things be so uh, like good Bereans should. So hopefully you were you were blessed uh, by what you heard this morning. Uh, I'm continually blessed by bringing it. And uh, yeah, cliffhanger. I really love to. I really love to study the the scripture with you folks, and I hope it I hope it comes through as such. So, bow with us, and we'll close you, babe. Right to the to the little beast. That's the yeah. unholy triune, yeah. the unholy Trinity that we talked about, where God has the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. On the opposite side, on the anti-type side, you have Satan, the Antichrist. I mean, the the beast or the Antichrist and the little beast. It's this. Uh, he's got, and and it, it's interesting to note that that little beast does all the miracles and signs that the Holy Spirit did back in the Acts period. Or has the power of miracles, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. We've been, so we've been looking at this for a lot of years. Not that we've got all the answers, but hopefully we've got a few more now, um, than we had, uh, back then. So bow with us. Thank you, Steph, for bringing that up. It is, it is interesting to go back and, and to see how far back, uh, I think so, Doherty. I think a lot of those dead are a result of, of tribulations quite likely so uh, thank y'all for being with us bow with us I don't want to cut into forest time <coughs> and we'll close and uh, we'll move on to the Arizona study Father once again we thank you for this beautiful day and for all the blessings of it and Father we thank you for those that have come this way we thank you for this word and Father as we look at it and are so humbled by what we see and we're taken back by the things that your word speaks of and talks about. Uh, knowing, Father, that the world around us knows these things, yet thinks very little of it. And God, we don't want to be in that number, Father. Help us to, to know and to discern and to understand the things that your word has. Uh, Father, not only the truth for today that we seek to know the, the scripture that's to us, but Father, even the scripture today that's for us. Uh, we pray that our knowledge, our growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and the things revealed to us in your word, Father, that you would continue to bless us in that. Uh, be with those that have come this way today. Uh, bless them all, Father. Bless Forrest as he brings the next message this morning. And we pray that you would be with him and use him to teach us is our prayer as we close. For it's in Christ's name today we do pray. Amen.